So Grace Church, when God saves us through Jesus Christ, he brings about a dramatic, supernatural change in us. We are transformed by his power. And one of the most powerful pictures of what this transformation will look like is in today's passage in Luke. Because in Luke chapter 6, Jesus calls us to love our enemies. To do good to those who hate us. To bless those who curse us. To pray for those who abuse us. He calls us not to strike back when somebody strikes us. To give our shirt when somebody takes our coat. To give to everyone who begs from us. And to not demand back when somebody takes from us. Now, this morning we're going to talk about what these commands mean. And there's a danger here of, of watering these commands down. There are some qualifications that need to be made, but oh, there is such a danger of watering these commands down until we feel comfortable with them. We do not want to do that this morning. We want to obey what Jesus commands us to do here. So we'll be talking about what these commands mean. But first, I want you to think about somebody in your life who you might categorize as an, as an enemy. Somebody who has taken from you, abused you, harmed you in some way. I want you to have somebody concrete in mind so that Jesus' commands will be taken very practically then as we look at them. So let's look at what Jesus says, starting in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Let's ask, what is Jesus calling us, his followers, to do? Verse 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so for them. So think about that person you you thought of earlier, who is your enemy, who's hated you, who's hurt you, who's harmed you. And think about this. Jesus Christ is standing before you this morning in these verses and with great love and absolute authority, he's telling you what you are to do with this person. Let's go through these one at a time. First of all, verse 27, he says, love your enemies. You should love this person. That means you care about this person. You want to seek their good. You're loving your enemies. Verse 27 continues, do good to those who hate you. So Jesus is saying, do good for them. Don't just settle for things being civil. Well, we're not yelling at each other anymore. No, no, no. Seek to do them good. Go out of your way to serve them. Do good for them. Third, verse 28, bless those who curse you. 
bless them, which means you, you wish them well. You want their well-being. Also in verse 28, pray for those who abuse you. Have you prayed for them? You should be praying for them. Ask God to change their heart. Ask God to give them faith in Jesus Christ. Ask God to forgive them and give them eternal life. Ask God to save them. Verse 29, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Now this was probably a slap on the cheek, which in that culture was a public insult. Now, from other scriptures we know, Jesus is not here saying that self-defense is always wrong or that you should never distance yourself from an abusive situation or that governments shouldn't punish criminals or have a defensive military. But Jesus is saying something that is shocking. If this person has publicly insulted you, do not retaliate. That's what he's saying. Sixth, verse 29. If someone takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Okay, this, this is also just shocking. So if this person steals from you, your goal isn't to hurt them. You should want to love them. You should care for them. You should help them in whatever way you can, even if that means giving them your tunic as well. Seventh, verse 30. Give to everyone who begs of you. Maybe somebody comes up and asks you for money. Jesus is saying our default mode should be, I, I want to give to them. I want to help them in some way. Maybe sometimes we decide that giving won't be what's best for them, but our hearts should always care for them, want to help them in whatever way we can. Eighth, verse 30. From one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Now that's shocking. That's not what's usually in our hearts. But this is what Jesus calls us to feel towards these who hurt us. And then ninth, finally, in verse 31. As you wish others to do for you, do so for them. So Jesus isn't saying, well, what I want them to do for me is just leave me alone. It's not his point. His point is, no, you wish that other people will do good for you. In the same way, you should do good. Do good. Do active good for them. Wow, this is an amazing teaching from Jesus. And let me encourage you just to take some time, and we'll do it right now. Think about who is saying these words. Remember, this is Jesus Christ. No one loves you more than Jesus. And no one has more authority than Jesus. He is fully God. He is God in the flesh saying these words. And Jesus himself lived out these words. He lived this way. So we should tremble at these words. I mean, I have been deeply convicted this week at how I have not been living up to these words. And I think we should, let's repent, church, over ways we <clears throat> are coming short in doing what Jesus is calling us to do. This is very counter-cultural. Listen, if we live this way, oh, Jesus' glory will shine forth from us. Let's not water these down. Let's live this way. And if that means some repenting and some conviction, Lord, bring it to us. Let us shine with your glory here in Abu Dhabi by living this way. 
Now, let's dig a little deeper into what these commands mean. Jesus does not mean that it's wrong to enforce laws, because that would contradict what Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, said in Romans chapter 13, where Paul talks about the importance of, of government. So it's, it's right to uphold and um, establish laws. So let's just say, for example, that someone stole my car. Jesus says I should love this person. I should forgive this person. I should care about this person. I should not seek revenge against this person. But I should report the crime for the, for the good of this person, ultimately, and all of society in the functioning with the laws that God wants to be here. So Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to enforce laws, but don't seek revenge. Don't want to hurt the person. Some people say that Jesus is here using hyperbole, that he's intentionally overstating these commands in order to, to shock us. Now, there may be some truth to that. But as I studied that, I was deeply helped by something that John Piper, a pastor in the U.S., said. He said we need to be very careful about what it is that we think Jesus is overstating. There's at least two options. Is Jesus overstating what we should do? Is that the overstatement? Is he just trying to like shock us so, okay, I'll be a little bit more loving, but that Jesus doesn't really expect us to live this way? I don't think that's what's going on here. If we draw that conclusion, then we're simply ignoring what Jesus actually says in these commands. So he is not overstating what we should do. I think Jesus is saying that there are many, many times in our lives where this is exactly how he's going to be calling us to live. Many situations in which this is precisely what we should do. Just like Stephen, when he was being stoned in the book of Acts, he prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. This is amazing. While he was being stoned, while these men were throwing stones into his body, thudding into his body, he loved them. He cared for them. He was forgiving them, and he was asking God to forgive them. So there will be many, many times when we are called to live exactly what Jesus is saying here. So Jesus is not overstating what we should do. But I do think, in a sense, Jesus is overstating when we should do these things. He doesn't mean that this is what we should always do, and the reason we know that is because of other scriptures. For example, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul is talking about somebody in the church, a follower of Jesus, who is in financial need, but they're not willing to work. It's not that they don't have a job. Nobody should be penalized for that. But this person is not willing to work. And Paul says if they're not willing to work, then the church should not support them financially. So that would be a case where somebody would be asking and, and we should say, uh, no, we, we, we love you, we care about you, but no, we can't. This would not help you. Also, um, Jesus, as he was being beaten, he was silent. As he was being scourged, he was silent. No defense, no protest. As he was being nailed to the cross, he was being silent. But earlier, 
earlier in, in the trial when a soldier hit him in the mouth. Jesus said, wait a minute. Those are my words. Jesus said, if what I said was wrong, tell me what was wrong. If what I said was right, why did you hit me? So he did give a defense. He did counter what the soldier was doing. He did say that what the soldier was doing was wrong. So I don't think that these are what we should do every single time. This should be our default mode. We should lean into doing these all the time, but there will be times where the path of wisdom would call us to do something slightly differently. John Piper uses the example of somebody who comes to you asking you for money, and, and it's clear to you that they are lying about their circumstances. And he says, and I think he's right, that Jesus would call us, first of all, to love this person. That's our default mode. We care about this person. They may be lying, but, but I'm going to care about this person. And then we should seek to somehow connect with this person so that we could share with this person that Jesus came to save sinners, share how we've been saved, how they can be saved. And then we should lean towards this person with love and give to this person. Maybe say something like this, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus and, and I'm not so sure about your story, but for Jesus' sake, I wanna give this to you right now for Jesus' sake. Now, if this person continues to ask, if this person is obviously using money in a way that's destructive for them or harmful for other people, then at that point it would be right to say no. But, but our default mode should be to show love. Even if this person is lying to us, our giving for Jesus' sake could totally change that person's heart and bring them to faith in Christ. So, these commands are how we usually should respond. These commands are our default mode. We should always be leaning into obeying these commands as radical as they are. So to summarize verses 27 to 31, Jesus calls us to do good to everyone, no matter what they have done to you. That's the first section of this morning's passage. But now this raises a question, if we're really honest. It's like, how do we live that way? Where do I get the power to love that way? I'm just not feeling that at all. How can this heart be changed so I do respond this way and want to respond this way? That's what Jesus addresses in this next section, verses 32 through 36. So let's read this next section and ask, what motivation does Jesus give to help us live this way? This is so important to look at the, the reasons, the promises, the motivations Jesus gives. Start with verse 32. If you love those who love you, Jesus says, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So verses 32 through 34 shows us what won't get us any reward. But in verses 35 through 36, Jesus shows us what will get us a reward and what that reward is. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good 
and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons and daughters, it's generic, of the Most High of God. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. I love this. So here, Jesus gives us motivations which will change our hearts, which will free us from selfishness, which will fill us with love. He gives us motivations which will transform us so we can do what Jesus calls us to do. Now, this is so important to notice. Many, many, many times we don't want to do what Jesus is calling us to do here. Many times our hearts are not there. And so when that happens, what Jesus wants us to do is to open up this passage and to look at verses 35 and 36 and to pray over these motivations, these reasons, these promises, because the Holy Spirit will use them to change our hearts so that we are filled with love for this person and want to be merciful and gracious and help them. And he gives us two motivations in verses 35 to 36. First, your reward will be great. Now, what is this reward? I think it's a reward in heaven because that's what Jesus said 12 verses earlier. Luke chapter 6, verse 23. He says, rejoice in that day. Remember, this is when you're being persecuted. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. So notice in verse 23, the reward is in heaven. And there's nothing in verse 35 to make us think it's anything other than that same reward in heaven. So it's obvious to see that verse 35, the reward should be taken as being in heaven. So what is this reward? What is it? All through the Bible, we read that our reward is God himself revealed in Jesus, who is our infinitely satisfying joy. God is our reward. When you first turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus, trusting him as your savior, trusting him as your Lord, I submit my life to you, trusting him as your all-satisfying treasure, you are my joy. When you Trust Jesus in that way. God will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives you a taste. He, rivers of living water, the very presence of God revealed in Jesus will flow into your heart. And for the first time, you will be filled with all satisfying joy. The joy of knowing God in Jesus. And from that point on in your life, then, you know there is infinitely satisfying joy in knowing Jesus Christ. And as you live your life, God will give you tastes of that joy. This is not constant, but there's taste as we seek his face in the word, as we pour our souls out upon him in prayer, as we worship, as we fellowship, as we hear God's word preached, God will give us tastes of this joy. But it's just tastes in this life because the full banquet doesn't take place until heaven, and then it will take place. The full banquet, the reward in heaven. And so Jesus here is saying that the more we love our enemies now, 
the more we do good to those who hurt us or hate us, the more of this joy we will have in heaven forever. That's what he's saying. Now, that does not mean that our loving our enemies earns this reward. Here's why. It's because even our best moments of loving our enemies are still tinged with sin. We are never entirely free from sin this side of heaven. We will be gloriously free from sin in heaven, but this side of heaven, we're never entirely free. So even our best moments of loving our enemies are still tinged with sin, which means that they don't deserve reward at all. They actually just deserve God's judgment. So then how can God reward us? There is only one reason. It's because of Jesus Christ. Jesus died to pay for our sins, including whatever sins are tinging your love for your, your enemies. And because Jesus died for us, God promises to mercifully reward our undeserving love for our enemies. God mercifully promises to reward our undeserving obedience with more joy in him forever. This changes everything. This changes the equation completely. So picture, there you are. Somebody comes up and asks you for money. And our natural response is, I, I don't want to give this person any money. Why would I want to do that? But wait a minute. Your reward will be great. As you look ahead to eternity and think that, oh, if for Jesus' sake, out of love for him, desire for his glory, if I'm, if I'm so seeing my eternal reward and letting the certainty of that fill me with joy now, it will fill me with love now. And as I know that as I love my enemy here, this person who's asking me for money, as I love this person, I'm going to have even more joy in Jesus forever. Do you see how that completely changes the equation? It's like, yes, here, for Jesus' sake, let me help you. When we think about the reward in heaven, the equation is completely changed and giving just becomes, of course we want to give to this person. I have eternal joy in heaven secured for me by Jesus and I'm going to have even more as I live for him and glorify him by giving to this person. Yes. That's how it works. So that's the first motivation. But Jesus has a second motivation. Read verse 35 again. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Jesus says that if we love like this, we will be sons of the Most High. God will be our Father. Now, we could think this means that the way to get God to be my Father is by loving my enemies. That first I love my enemies, and then God will be my Father. That is not what Jesus is saying here, and we know that because of verse 36, where Jesus says, to the disciples, disciples, be merciful as your father is merciful. He's talking to his disciples and saying that God is already their father. 
And that's because the moment they, the moment we, turn and put our trust in Jesus, at that moment we become sons of the Most High, daughters of the Most High. So what, that, what Jesus is saying in verse 35 is that when, for Jesus' sake, we love our enemies and give to those who ask us, this shows that our faith is genuine. This shows that our faith in Jesus Christ is genuine and that therefore we are saved and that therefore God is our Father. We're not saved by loving our enemies. We're saved by faith. But if our faith is genuine in Jesus, look at that eternal reward. Look at the joy I'll have in him. If our faith in him is genuine, we will love our enemies. And that will assure us that we are saved and that God is our Father. So this is the second motivation. When we love our enemies for Jesus' sake, we will be even more assured that God is our Father that you are a son of the Most High, that you are a daughter of the Most High. Oh, what's more precious than that? And more assurance of that? Yes. So let me summarize then what we've seen so far in the passage. In verses 27 to 31, Jesus calls us to do good to everyone, no matter what they've done to you. And then in verses 32 to 36, Jesus says, what will empower you to do this, what should motivate you to do this, what you should pray over when you struggle to do this is the fact that your reward will be great and that you will be assured even more that God is your Father. Now, Jesus has one more way he wants to call us to love our enemies. It's the point of verses 37 to 42. So let's ask, what else does love look like? And look at what he says, starting in verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So love looks like not judging. This is another way we should love by not judging. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we should never make moral evaluations of people? It can't mean that because in the next verses, Jesus calls us to notice the sin in other people's lives. We'll see that at the end of this section. So what kind of judging is Jesus saying is wrong? The answer is in the words, condemn not. To condemn someone is more than just saying what someone is doing is wrong. To condemn someone means to despise them, to detest them, to treat them with contempt. That's what it means to condemn someone. And Jesus says that if we judge them in the sense of condemning them, then we will be condemned by God. Why? Well, because our condemning them will show that we're not seeing our own sin very clearly. Because when you see how sinful you are before God, you are slow to, look at what a sinner that person is. Oh, you're slow to do that because look at what a sinner I am. So, our condemning will show that we're not seeing our own sin very clearly. 
And when we don't see our own sin, if we're not seeing our sin, that should raise questions about whether we're saved because every saved person sees their sin. That should raise questions, am I saved? And if we look and say, I have no sense of my sinfulness, then that would show that we're not saved, which is why we would be condemned. So don't condemn, see your sin and you won't despise other people. You won't detest other people. You won't look at them with contempt. So instead of judging other people in the sense of condemning them, Jesus is calling us to forgive them and give to them. But now notice again the motivation Jesus gives. It's because he says, it will be given to us. What's the it? Same reward as back in verse 35. The reward in heaven, more joy forever in God's presence. That's the reward he's promising us. And this will be given to us in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It'll be poured out upon you. In those days, if you were going to buy some corn, there'd be a vase and uh, the seller would, would fill it up and then would, would press it down, make sure it was totally full, would, would shake it to make sure it all got filled in, and then would pour in to make sure it was absolutely level. But Jesus says, God does even more. So he, he makes it run over. He pours out so much that there's, it runs over and it'll pour into your lap because they would hold the amount of corn in their lap, in their robe. That's how they would carry it. That's how they would buy it. So again, why do we do this? It's because of the great reward that we will have in joy, in delight, in the very presence of God revealed in Jesus forever. So we should not judge or condemn others. We should forgive and love them. But now part of forgiving and loving is helping them to see their, their sin. That's part of it. And Jesus knows that as soon as we start to move in that direction, we face a great danger. Danger. And he points out that danger in verses 39 through 42 with three parables. Now, these first two parables are not easy to understand how they fit in the context, but the third parable I think is crystal clear. And so I'm interpreting the first two parables in light of the third parable. And I'll show, show you the connections as we go through. First parable, verse 39. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? What Jesus is saying here is that when you seek to help someone see their sin, if you're blind to your own sin, then you, then, then both of you, if you're trying to help them and you're blind to your sin, you will not be able to help them and both of you will fall into a, a pit. Second parable, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. What Jesus is saying is, if you think you're a teacher, but you don't see your own sin, if you think you're a teacher who's going to help this person see their sin, but you don't see your own sin, then the person you are teaching is going to be blind to their sin, just like you're blind to your sin. You'll be of no benefit to them. And the third parable, verses 41 to 42. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, 
take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly. So you won't be blind. You'll see clearly to take the speck out of that is in your brother's eye. Now, again, this last parable is the clearest. Even though we don't judge or condemn others in the sense of despising them, the path of love will often mean helping them to see their sin. But to do that, we first need to see our own sin. It's always a danger. If you think that the other person has sinned, if you're thinking, look at how they've sinned. Look at what they've done to me. Look at the wrong that they've done. If your whole mind is filled with their sin and you have no sense of your terrible sin against the God of the universe, if you have no sense of that, then you are blind. You're worried about the speck, the little speck, that little speck there in your brother's eye when there's a, a log sticking out of your own eye. So let's, let's summarize these three sections in what we looked at this morning. Verses 27 to 31. Do good to everyone, no matter what they've done to you. 32 to 36, here's the motivation. Here's why. Here's how we do this. Because your reward will be great and you will be assured of salvation. And then verses 37 to 42. And do not judge or condemn. See your own sin. Then you can help them with their sin sin. So let's put all this together. Jesus in this passage is teaching us the way of love. This is how he lived. This is how he's calling us to live. Love your enemies. Do good. Don't just be passive, just civil peace. No, do good to those who hate you. Give to those who ask you. Don't condemn other people. Remove the log out of your own eye and then help them with the speck that's in their eye. This is how Jesus calls us to live, Grace Church. So think about that person that I asked you to think about earlier, the one who you could describe as your enemy, the one who has hurt you, the one who has taken from you. Think about that person right now. This is how Jesus is calling you to relate to them. This is what your Lord, your Master, your Savior, your friend, your God is calling you to do. And what will motivate you to do that? Oh, spend time thinking and praying over these motivations. What will motivate you? The promise that your reward in heaven will be great. Set your heart upon the promise. Set your eyes upon the promise. Think about the promise. Trust in that promise. The Holy Spirit will use that to change your heart. If that's awaiting me forever, and if loving now will give me even more of that, changes the equation entirely. Let's love. Let's do good. Let's serve. Let's forgive. Think about the fact that this will show that you are a son of the Most High. You are a daughter of the Most High. Oh, I have God the Most High as my Father. With Him as my Father, caring for me, providing for me, helping me, I'm free to love anyone no matter what they've done to me. And then the promise that this reward of more joy in God forever will be poured out upon you until it is running over. This is how Jesus calls us to live. These are the motivations that will enable us to live that way. So Grace Church, 
for the glory of Jesus Christ, to show Abu Dhabi the reality of Jesus changing our hearts, to display his beauty and majesty. Let's love this way. Let's live this way. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would do a deep work in each of our hearts right now. We want to say yes to this radical teaching, Jesus, so countercultural, so different than what sin moves us to do. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for your heart-changing power. Lord, we want to say we are sorry for how we have fallen short so many times in living this way. Forgive us, Father, for Jesus' sake, forgive us. Change us. Change us, Lord. Help us to see the reward in heaven that is ours through Christ by faith. Help us to see that the more we love and give and forgive, the more joy in you we will have forever. Help us to see, oh, the joy of assurance of being a son of the Most High, a daughter of the Most High. Use all of those truths to so fill our hearts that we love this person who's our enemy and that we gladly serve and help this person who is our enemy. God, change us in that way, I pray. And Lord, I also want to pray for those listening right now who are not yet trusting Christ, who've never tasted the all-satisfying joy of knowing you, God, in the person of Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would see who you are from this passage. You care for the ungrateful and the wicked. You show mercy to people. And Lord, in your mercy now, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, give them faith, cause them to turn from their sin, to put their trust in Jesus, and then pour out the gift of the Holy Spirit, filling them with joy and knowing you. Do that now, I pray. Lord, we want to come together and surrender completely to you this area of our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.